Welcome to Should I Do This, a podcast where I talk to women about their successful careers and the steps it took to get there. I'm your host, Lily Fox Redstone, and today we're talking to Coel Tomei, founder of Noosa Yogurt. Each week, I'm going to start off the show by asking my guests a few questions from a random question generator. I wanted you guys to get to know them and have a sense of their personality before we really got into the nitty gritty. So before we get into all the questions, and I do want to explore like 80,000 things that you just told me, I do a goofy little get to know you game with everyone. Okay. Okay. And it's like a random question generator and they'll go through questions that are fours. So it'll ask you for like four things of each. Okay. So what are four words to describe your day today? Um, mellow, uh, busy, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. focused and, uh, happy. Love it. Mellow and busy is a real, uh, I know it is. I mean, I know that's sort of like, a. um, but that's sort of how my retired life is, right? Like I'm busy, but in a non-hectic way. Um, you know, it's not like I'm running a business and have to get things done. Things can naturally roll to the next day without too much panic. Love it. Okay. Who are four people you find impressive and why? Um, my mom, because she is just, um, probably one of the most generous, authentic human beings on this planet. Um, my favorite author is Roald Dahl. I love his just incredible, wicked sense of humor. Um, Mm -hmm. and now I'm sharing that with my daughter. Um, Michelle Obama. Um, I think she is the epitome of uh, humbleness and grace. Um, I can't imagine being a political figure. Um, and I think she navigated it beautifully. Um, and then uh, I'm actually, uh, my nonprofit that I sit on the board of is having a fundraiser, a virtual fundraiser tonight. And um, I am excited. I'm just picking up this book. Um, Our keynote speaker is Dr. Anyana Elizabeth Johnson. And she is, I've just sort of discovered her. Um, She is a marine biologist and one of the leading female environmentalists in the country. So I'm really excited to listen to her speak and, and learn more about her journey and, um, you know, the environment's a big passion point for me. So, yeah. Amazing. That was such a good answer. We love women in STEM. Um, all right, last one. What are four activities that you find invigorating? Uh, well, top in that list would be mountain biking. That's my premier passion in the mm-hmm. outdoors. Um, what else? Uh, backcountry skiing or snowboarding. Uh, I got a new split board last season, so I'm excited Ooh. to continue that adventure. Um, trying to keep up with my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a lot of energy. And mm-hmm. um, eating really delicious food. I find that very invigorating. Awesome. I knew mountain biking was going to come in quick. <laughs> um. Today, I'm speaking with Coel Tomei. That's how you say your last name, correct? Yes. Yes. Fantastic. Um, and Coel was the founder of Noosa Yogurt. Yes. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about um, how that career got started and kind of what your role in the company was? So, uh, my name is Coel Tomei, and I am the co founder of Noosa Yogurt. Uh, it's a obviously a yogurt, not yoga (laughs) company. Um, (laughs) A lot of my accent, a lot of people think that I'm talking about, you know, hot yoga and I'm like, oh no, dairy, cows, you know, all of that good stuff. 
Um, yes. But yeah, through, you know, a sort of non-linear path, I ended up working in the food industry and, um, you know, have had a passion for all things food, whether it's cooking food, um, you know, grocery shopping, which I know a lot of people don't like, um, mm -hmm. and obviously eating delicious food, you know, all of those things sort of led me ultimately to Noosa. You know, I discovered this amazing product on a trip home to Australia and just couldn't let go of this taste. And, um, you know, I was working for a very entrepreneurial company at the time and, I think just the timing was right and uh, very bullishly I decided I was going to launch my own company and um, you know that ended up being over a decade of my life which is crazy to think about just yeah. one thing um, you know in a sort of this vacuum but um, ended up being an amazing adventure you know with lots of highs and lows uh, just like amazing. any business or any career so um, but I sold the business at the end of 2018. So I am a, uh, I guess I'm a retired entrepreneur at this point in time and, mm -hmm. uh, fill my time with a lot of mentoring, uh, raising a very, uh, salty and sweet seven-year-old daughter <laughs> and, uh, just enjoying some downtime, uh, for the first time in my sort of adult adult life and, and career path. Amazing. That was a perfect intro. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So we'll get into kind of Noosa and how it came to be. Um, but I also want to start, I mostly start with guests asking them about their experience with school growing up, because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think of the two as linked. And I was just wondering, like, how was school for you growing up? Did you always love it? Did you always thrive? Did you feel like it was your thing or your path? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And then I and I go way back because I think that, you know, love of learning is set from a, an early age. And, you know, I'm I'm sort of living that with my daughter and um, you know, and that that comes in the form of not just your parents, but your teachers. And I think you can find really amazing um educators from a, an early age that really, I think, inspire you and set you on that path of, of the love of learning. And I was really lucky. My, um, I had the same teacher for grade one and two. I went mm -hmm. to this sort of funny little public school in North Queensland in Australia where I grew up. And mm -hmm. she is still my North Star for what teachers should be. Um, she's no longer with us, but, um, you know, I love to share her story. She was just somebody that really had a curiosity for the world. And, you know, so her class units would be, she would pick a country and every subject, whether it was math or English, centered around this country. It had some sort of link. And at the end of each month, we would have a picnic, you know, and we lived in the tropics, so we were always outside. And yeah. everybody had to bring some type of food from that country, um, you know, and I specifically remember, you know, studying Turkey um, and just, you know, those were foods that I had never been exposed to. Um, so in some ways, like she was also um, somebody that I think instilled a love of trying different foods for me from a young age, um, yeah. you know, when I think about my food journey. So um, yeah, I was really fortunate to have this teacher who just was so passionate um, and so creative that it really set sort of the foundation for me and, and that love of learning. And, um, you know, and I also had parents that were um, sort of these alternate hippies. I, I, I sort of laugh. They were hippies that never did drugs. Um, and I'm like, really, okay. mom and dad? And they're like, no. I was like, <laughs> not even pot and they're like no i'm like oh my gosh <laughs> um but you know both were or both are um incredibly bright and you know even though we live this sort of more hippie lifestyle um mm. you know education and learning um was such a big thing for them and um you know the i think my love of learning was certainly instilled by them um 
as well. And, you know, so I think when you have that early foundation set, it's, it's hard not to love learning and it's hard not to like school. And I mean, I certainly had some moments sort of through, you know, primary into high school where I had less than incredible teachers, but uh-huh. um, I was sort of already on that path of being really self-motivated to learn and was very curious. Um, so my, I guess sort of my, my primary and secondary education um, was pretty awesome. You know, yeah. I really loved it. And it wasn't until I got to university that I hit my first real, I think, learning hurdle. Um, uh-huh. And it wasn't that I couldn't do the work. I was just so uninspired by what I was studying. Um, You know, in Australia at the time when I went to university, you actually had to pick your major going into university. So, you know, you think about really you're in grade 10 and you're having to think about what subjects you're going to take to sort of steer you towards your major. And that's a lot of pressure when you're 15 years old to say, I want to be a doctor or I want to be this. And I had no idea at 15 years old what I wanted to be or what I wanted to do. And um, mm-hmm. ultimately decided to do something practical because um, I had done some business subjects at, at high school. So I chose accounting as a major and I got there oh, wow. and I hated it. Like yeah. viscerally hated accounting. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? I don't know <laughs> as an adult, but I'm so, so relieved I didn't become an accountant. Um, and it's no yeah. diss on accountants because we need them. And, you know, I think it's a certain type of person that really thrives in that numbers environment. Um, yeah. But for me, it was, it was really hard because I had always been a good student. And then suddenly I wasn't doing well because I just wasn't going to class. I wasn't applying myself. Um, and I was just so disconnected from sort of the whole experience. And I actually hit a real, um, you know, I think either like nervous breakdown, like almost sort of moment. And I was Mm -hmm. so stressed because I was, you know, basically ended up on academic probation. So I was going to get kicked out if I failed one more subject. And, um, you know, I just sort of had this epiphany. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to do this. Like, I don't have to be an accountant. Like there are (laughs) other things in this world. I don't know what I want to be, but I know it's not this. And I just sort of hit that like such stress moment that I remember calling my mom and telling her, I was like, I don't want to do this. I have to, you know, I'm going to finish my semester. I'm going to pass so I don't get kicked out of university. But I need Mm -hmm. to take a break and figure out what I want to do or just not that you love about school. Yeah. Like, and you know, I think it's a testament to my mom that she basically said, I'll buy you a plane ticket to anywhere you want to go. Um, and so I ended up so lucky. I finished that semester and I took a year off. Um, and I actually ended up in Colorado where I now live. Um, very serendipitous. And, um, I didn't think about school. I didn't think about a career. I just went and lived in the world and, um, it really allowed me to, um, I think grow up a little bit and just become more mature and realize that, um, that I didn't need to figure everything out right away in that moment. Um, and so I ultimately, I I took that year off. I came and then I went back to Australia and I transferred into a marketing degree, which was really fun and really interesting um, and ended up, you know, finishing in that major. Um, So I think it's interesting, you know, I think that everybody's going to hit sort of a challenge in their school life, you know, and that can be early on or it can be later on. And I think the big takeaway for me in that moment was, Um, a couple of things that, you know, not to take it all so seriously, um, which is hard when you're young, right? Um, Because you don't have the hindsight of living in the world for a while to see that things aren't as dramatic in that moment in time. Um, Mm -hmm. But to also not allow yourself to continue doing something that 
just really um, you're not passionate about because yeah. you're ultimately not going to, um, I just, I think you're going to hit that wall at some point if you continue down that path um, doing something yeah. that you're not passionate about. I agree. I had a very similar moment my freshman year of college, even though I had kind of done the reverse that you did. I took a year off first, um, but I kind of still had a set plan in mind. I went in pre-med doing honors chemistry and would just cry all the time. And finally, my parents were like, uh, I don't feel like this is making you happy. <laughs> and we told you to study <laughs> what makes you happy. And so yeah. if, this, if this is not it, if this is feeling like it's crushing you more than it's lifting you up, then you need to reevaluate. And yeah. I sat on a park bench and thought about what classes made me feel <clears throat> proud of myself and proud of my work and it was my English classes and so I switched yeah. that's awesome yeah, yeah but I mean I do think a lot of people and I don't I think you know whether it's you're young or older is that you know you've put so much time and effort into a certain path and that you know what are people going to think and really yes. at the end of the day it's about what makes you happy and it's not about what other people think yeah, exactly. Even if there's, you know, I, I know everybody has different financial situations and fam like family situations. I think expectations from your family can really steer that. But also, like you said, taking a moment to figure out that you don't have to keep going because if it's already making you so unhappy at some point, you're going to have to stop anyways. Exactly. Um, but that's so cool. So you ended with a marketing degree and then kind of where did you go from there? Did you go, were you thinking corporate or were you thinking already that you wanted to start your own business? Did you have kind of any idea what was to come in the future? Uh, no, I was still, um, you know, very unclear about what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, I think <laughs> I was just really proud of myself for having come back and actually finishing my degree or finishing a degree, um, yeah. you know, knowing how stressful that those first two years were. And, you know, most Australians go on what they call their, their version of a walkabout and, so um, I had fallen in love with Colorado and, you know, a boy uh -huh. in, in Colorado and uh, decided that I would, you know, come back to the U.S. and just sort of work and travel and, and do, you know, another sort of year before I really um, decided what I wanted to do. And, yeah. um, you know, he, when I came back to the U.S., he was in Oregon at the time, so you know, exploring what sort of options were in Eugene and there was a college there. And I had this sort of notion that in marketing, I was more interested in sort of the creative arts side and the nonprofit side. Um, mm -hmm. But it was hard, you know, I think coming from Australia to try and, you know, without really any connections and, you know, trying to break into um, this new arena without any either experience or work experience, it was tough. So I actually ended up working yeah. in a drive-through coffee shack, uh, oh. listening to Rush Limbaugh every day, which was <laughs> also another moment of um, speaking up for myself. You know, uh, I'm, uh, I'm a flaming liberal at heart, but I'm willing to listen to other people's opinions. But I told my boss at the time who owned the coffee shack, I was like, look, I can listen to this for a couple of days a week, but not every day. Like, can we just, you know, compromise and can we listen yeah. to some music on some other days? Um, Is he like the Fox News guy or like an evangelist kind no, of thing? No, he was a really nice guy. He just um Oh, no, really no, Rush Limbaugh. Like, oh. I don't know what that is. Oh, Rush Limbaugh, he is. He's, um, he's one of the right-wing talk radio. Okay. Yeah. And you were just being pounded with yeah. it at work. <laughs> I, you know, it's just like too much of anything, right? Like, yeah. you know, moderation, moderation, especially when you're at work. Um, For sure. But I think I also realized that 
you know, from a young age, I was willing to speak my mind. Um, and I think mm-hmm. there's a way to do that in uh, a very respectful way. Because um, at the end of the day, I think people sort of fear um, asking for what they want, even if I'm, you know, even if you're working in a drive-through coffee shack, right? And yeah. um, I think I realized from a young age that I wasn't afraid to ask for what I want because the worst thing that somebody can tell you is no. Um, yeah. And that, that doesn't physically hurt you. <laughs> I mean, it might <laughs> hurt some people's egos, but um, yeah, you have to be able to ask for things that you want. Um, and I think the sooner you can do that um, and learn negotiating skills, you know, the better for, for a myriad, not just in your work life, right? Um, yep. so yeah, so I'm working in this drive through coffee shack. I'm dating this guy. He had actually been living in Moab, Utah before I came back to the U S and, uh-huh. um, it was so rainy in Oregon. I was like, I don't think I can live here in the wind. Like, I just don't think I can live in such a rainy place. And he's yeah. like, well, let's go, let's go to Moab. And funnily enough, I had heard about Moab more from my mother when I was living in Colorado Ooh. that, that year that gap year I took from university and I remember her um telling me she's like oh my gosh Kowal I've been to this place called Moab it's full of cute boys in lycra riding bikes you're gonna love it um, oh my gosh it's so, so true full of crunchy boys <laughs> I, was like, well, I was like you know I'm dating somebody but you know who knows how that'll work out so um yeah I ended up moving to Moab um okay. The first, the first boyfriend went away. I started dating another guy. Um, and it's not to say that I like led men lead me around the, the world, but I was just yeah. open to traveling and doing different things. And so from that, I ended up moving to Montana mm-hmm. and then ultimately Colorado. And I landed in Colorado in 2000. Um, and I'd done like a lot of different jobs I'd worked in. By this point, I'd worked in nonprofits. I had worked in restaurants. I'd been a copy mm-hmm. editor for a friend's newspaper in Moab. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I, was, I had done a lot of things. And then I get to Boulder, Colorado, and I'm like, oh, I really like this place. And I've been on my walkabout now for four years. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, you know, I landed a job when I got to Colorado. I was working for an IT company um, in their customer service department. Again, more from the sense of like, oh, I just need to get a job. Um, But when I had this sort of realization that I wanted to maybe actually stay longer and stay in Colorado, I I really sort of felt this, you know, it's like in my mid-20s, mid to late 20s, I was like, you know, I probably should figure out what I want to do you know I've just been so such this um not vagabond like that's not the right word but free spirit yeah, yeah, but and just, just wandering figuring and, it out yeah um and so I did a lot of soul searching and I was like what it like what's one thing I'm really passionate about and it was food and here I was mm-hmm. in Colorado, which is the, you know, home to natural foods, so to speak, or one of the, you know, meccas of natural foods. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to work in the natural food industry. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I sort of honed in on an area that I knew I was passionate about. From there, I really was just like daily, like applying, looking for jobs, applying for jobs that I thought I was reasonably qualified for. And I finally broke through um, with a startup beverage company called Izzy. And yeah, and when I got there, there were maybe, there was maybe 15 people total working in the company. So it was really small and intimate. And I just took it as an opportunity to learn as much as I could about a business and how it ran specifically in natural foods. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, because I, from a young age, asked for what I wanted, I went to the leadership team and I said, look, I really want to learn all different facets of the business. You know, will you allow me to sit in 
on different meetings and I was working in their operations department and they're like, you know, sure. As long as you get your day job done, we're, we're happy to, you know, open that up for you. Um, That's incredible. And so I learned so much from, you know, and I, so it meant that I like would stay longer in my day um, to get my day job done, so to speak. But yeah. I learned so much just hands-on and I think everyone learns differently, right? I mean, I think some people are definitely drawn to um, learning in sort of that academic environment. But what I realized quickly about myself is that I'm more of a hands-on learner. And so for me, yeah. that was much more valuable than going back and doing an MBA, which I had, had certainly considered. Um, mm -hmm. And it was during this time that I went back to Australia on a trip and I discovered this most delicious yogurt um, and ended up contacting the company on the behest of my mother. She's like, call them, tell them. I was like, tell them what? She's like, tell them that their yogurt's delicious. And I was like, okay. Uh -huh. So I ended up contacting this small Australian company um, and this is like back in, gosh, uh, 2000, probably 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I gave them the little spiel about being an expat, living in Colorado, working for a natural foods company. And would they consider, you know, had they ever considered doing something beyond Australia? And they're like, oh, we're, we're just a small family business. We're too busy. Um, and it was like a very okay, local well, operation. Yeah, exactly. Just in like one region of, of Queensland, which is my home state in Australia. Yeah. And yeah, I came back to Colorado. I was still working at Izzy, but I kept, I started sort of, you know, telling people about this yogurt and really doing my own research on the category. I think selfishly, because I just wanted to eat it more than once a year. And <laughs> I couldn't find anything that came close to replicating it. And, you know, fast forward, I was going back to Australia. This was like now two years later, which is a really long time to yeah. fixate on something you tasted one time. Um, <laughs> like a really long time. And who tried to go away? <laughs> I know. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, my boss at the time at Izzy was like, you know, do you think you could contact that company again? You're driving us all crazy about this yogurt idea. Oh. So I actually had my mom call the second time and nice. she was able to persuade this, this family to meet me at the local surf club. Oh, um, that's so incredible. Yeah, so over lunch and several beers, as you do when you're in Australia, um, which you, you will know having lived there for a little bit. <laughs> Just six weeks, but yeah, I did quite a bit of beer drinking. <laughs> um, yeah, I ended up, and I didn't have, you know, I didn't have like a business, formal business proposal. I just really wanted to meet them and mm -hmm. convey to them my passion, A, for their yogurt, and B, that I thought that it would be a really viable business in the yeah. United States because nothing existed like it. And um, from that lunch, I ended up having basically a handshake agreement to license their recipe. And, wow. um, and yeah, I was off to the races, so to speak. Um, so that's in, this was like in 1990 or 2000, sorry, not 97, 2007. <laughs> I was like, that would have been a long time ago. Um, yep. And yeah, I came back. And told everyone, I was like, I'm starting a yoga company. And, you know, I got mixed, re mixed reactions. Some people were like, great, that sounds awesome to mm -hmm. your absolutely crazy. Like, what are you thinking? Um, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I think about like a piece of advice from my mom who she worked in deaf education when I was growing up, um, but started her own craft business. And she was always really good about saying to me, she's like, I'm not going to go full time in my craft business until I know that I can financially support myself. So mm -hmm. as I was getting, you know, this concept of Noosa off the ground, my mom's like, don't, don't quit your job. Don't quit your day job until you know that you really can get it off the ground. Um, and so that took 
almost two years um, from you yeah. know that meeting and getting the handshake agreement um, to really figuring it out. So, um, you know, I think a lot of people hear my story about Noosa and just sort of say, oh, well, you had this idea and then you just, boom, it happened and then you launched on, on shelves. And I was like, no, it was actually years and years of yeah. thinking about it, chipping away at it while I was still working at my day job. Um, and it wasn't till, you know, and really I still worked two jobs even post launching the business. So, um, yeah. At Izzy or at some, some other company. So I had left Izzy. Izzy actually had been acquired by Pepsi. And okay. so I left and some of the, um, Izzy alums went on to different food companies and one of them hired me as a contractor and, Really, I'm so grateful to that person um, because cool. he ultimately allowed me, he's like, I don't care, you can do your work at midnight for us if that's what you need to do while you're getting new stuff off the ground. Um, mm -hmm. But he gave me that sort of financial stability and the ultimate sort of flexibility um, to be doing Noosa in tandem, which was uh, such a gift. Yeah, absolutely. And did you feel like, when you started building up the company and reaching out to people and trying to build Noosa as a brand that you had any moments where you felt like maybe as an entrepreneur, as a woman, it felt a little different or you were treated differently? Or do you feel like in the health food industry, it was kind of a more even playing field? You know, it's interesting. I think that I actually felt more, um, tension and stress with my business partners. So I ultimately mm -hmm. partnered with um, the Australian family, the two, mm -hmm. two sons from the Australian family and um, my dairy partner. And early on, I mean, we granted, we were all complete strangers. Um, but I think as the youngest and only female in um, the leadership of the company, I yeah. didn't yeah. get the respect. I had to actually earn it. And I mean, I understand like all people have to like prove themselves out, especially when you're strangers. But um, I think I afforded them that respect for sort of automatically mm -hmm. um, and that wasn't reciprocated. And so I, that was a real burden um, yeah. as I was working my ass off to not <laughs> feel that level of support and respect from my directly from my business partners. Um, and so I think emotionally that was, that was harder than anything that I experienced externally. And um, yeah. I would say the natural food industry is, is certainly more progressive when it comes to um, the amount of women that are working in, in leadership roles to um, just how women are treated, you know, in general, um, as Noosa became more successful and we, you know, bridged into more conventional grocery. Um, yeah. I found myself increasingly more and more in this, um, I'm just gonna say it frankly, like old white men world and, um, mm -hmm. you know, very old school. Um, and I never directly had anything weird happen, but I did feel like an outsider in that world, yeah. um, certainly. Um, just kind of in those like business dealings, on a larger yeah, scale. Just, yeah. And I think also <clears throat> sort of, and then also amplified by being an Aussie, right? Like, cause I'm not really deep into American sports. So, you know, when you think about going <laughs> into sales yeah. meetings and just trying to be like having conversations with people and trying to find, you know, those common things and sports is typically for men, you know, a great conversation piece. <laughs> So yeah, I feel like, fantastic. oh my gosh, right, I'm going to this state, like who are their sports teams and like <laughs> quickly doing studies. So I'd have something to talk about, you know. That's awesome. You're doing um, little research, <laughs> <laughs> taking notes on your phone. <laughs> Crazy game uh, last night, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but for me, it was more that internal um, stress. Yeah. And in some ways that was harder to navigate because, you know, if, if I had an interaction with somebody out in sort of the external business world, um, that wasn't as pleasant or, you know, um, as productive, 
it was easier to sort of compartmentalize that, but working day to day with, you know, my business partners and just not feeling that level of spread, it really, um, it really wore me down at, at certain moments. And um, I think how I figured out how to really navigate that was, um, again, I was really fortunate to be in Colorado where there were a lot of um, sort of startups. And so I mm -hmm. found my own community of female entrepreneurs um, who I really leaned on, you know, in those sort of moments, just even to have a glass of wine and blow off steam, um, yeah. to have those women who were just going through the same sort of challenges in their business um, and who could be sort of trusted confidants where I could just share my like challenges with my business partners um, and know that, you know, that wouldn't get out and back to them. Um, and yeah just gave me an outlet to um, know that I wasn't alone sort of in, yeah. in the world of business. And I can imagine it probably feels hard to believe in yourself being the leader when you're kind of being questioned by your own team members and yeah. while you're trying to lead, but also fight for the respect that you deserve as the head of the company. So I can imagine that having other women who are successful in their own right kind of tell you that you have the credentials and you have the confidence and believing in you and reinforcing that after people kind of chip away at it could be extremely helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, I think as you're embarking, I mean, because this was my first time, you know, launching a business. Um, so I, yeah. I never like portrayed myself as any sort of, uh, expert, so to speak, you know, I think I came at mm -hmm. it from, from a very low ego, um, point of view. And, um, so I think, you know, as, as you embark on a career, I think it's so important to have great mentors, great confidants, um, you know, people that you really can lean on and trust, um, to help you navigate those, you know, inevitable bumps in the road. Yeah, absolutely. And did you find those women just kind of like friends of friends or did you go searching for like women in business kind of groups? Um, you know, again, I feel so fortunate to have launched my business in, in Boulder. Um, uh -huh. There's a, there's an organization that does a lot of networking. And so through that, I just naturally found some awesome women that happen to be, you know, either a year ahead of me or launching at the same time. And um, yeah, just sort of through networking through that organization um, really allowed me to quickly connect with um, some great women um, and, and men, you know, I had a lot of great support from my Izzy um, alum as well. Um, yeah. But I, I think you need both, right? Like I, I definitely think as a female in business, it's very hard for a lot of men to understand some of the challenges um, that you face because they just probably will never face them um, yep. as a male in business. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, amazing. inside of Noosa, kind of what were your favorite parts of the job and what were your least favorite parts? Um, gosh, I mean, so many favorite parts, right? Um, uh -huh. You know, I think to, and it's sort of, I look at it, it's, it's a journey. Um, you know, any business is a journey. And yeah. um, I think of Noosa in sort of two very distinct sort of chapters, I guess, for me. And there was really the early days, the startup days, um, where you're just wearing so many different hats. And I've realized about myself that I'm, I'm probably more of a generalist. And I think as you know, somebody leading a company, you do have to be a generalist, you have to be able to understand the numbers, you have to be able to um, do many different things. And I really enjoyed that because I was learning so much on a on a daily basis and um, you know, no day was the same, like every day was, was different. And so it was so interesting and so invigorating and really bloody hard work, but 
you know, yeah. you just felt so satisfied at the end of every day. Um, and, you know, I think back to the early days uh, working at the farmer's market and just have like having our, our booth mobbed by people because we're really generous with our, you know, our samples to get that really one-on-one -on -one, um, feedback from people and customers and to see, like just to see in their eyes that same reaction that I had when I first tasted Noosa, you know, the equivalent of Noosa in Australia. Um, yeah. was so exciting. Like just like, oh my gosh, like they'd be like, oh my gosh, they're telling me like, this is the best yogurt in the world. I'm like, I know, that's why I started this company. Like, <laughs> You're like, um, right? <laughs> so, do you know what I mean? It's like, so the, the startup days are, um, I guess, really intimate, right? Because you are really close to your customers and you're getting that direct feedback. I mean, I managed all of our consumer affairs. So I was the one that was like emailing with customers. Um, so all of those sort of things um, were really exciting. Uh, where yeah. things started getting um, harder and, and less exciting were, um, I would say, once we became more of a national established brand, um, mm -hmm. you know, people started having real expectations of us as a company. Like, you know, we were really fortunate to break into Target um, two years after we launched the business. And like, that's okay. sort of unheard of for a young company to be able to do that. And then we had such amazing success. And I mean, they were really a great partner to work with. Um, but because we had such amazing success, I was like, oh, hang on. Like, we're actually going to, we're a real company. You know, it's sort of like this <laughs> yeah. realization like, oh, this isn't just like fun. Like, this is, you know, a real company. And so, um, not that I never took it, I always took it very seriously, but. Um, you started feeling more of that business pressure, um, mm -hmm. you know, to be able to fulfill orders. And, you know, we were certainly flying by the seat of our pants. It was, it was sort of the wild west <laughs> in, yeah. in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, you know, building Noosa and um, which is where our manufacturing facility is. And yeah. um, so with that, just a lot of different expectations for the business and, you know, we had more employees and um, I realized that managing people was not my strong, in, you know, a strong part of my skill set. Um, mm -hmm. So I felt, you know, a lot of stress on, on that front. And, you know, when you're managing people, you want to give them, um, you know, a path to grow within a company. And because everything was so flying by the seat of our pants, I didn't really feel like we had um, a strong vision of growth for our employees. So all of these things just started to like really build as we became a bigger real company. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, they're just, it is part and parcel of, of growth and, um, but it's, it was sort of not that fun for me. Um, yeah. And I, I think because I felt so out of my element in these mm -hmm. certain facets of the business, um, and that's when I really, I, I personally took a step back sort of because of the growth of the company, how I saw the voids of both my leadership and, you know, my business partners. Um, mm -hmm. And I actually felt like it was um, dangerous for the company. I thought, you know, we had sort of eked through some situations which would have put other companies out of business. Um, we were very fortunate to be in a... Um, you know, a profitable situation pretty quickly for the business um, that we were able to sort of skate through some of these mistakes. Um, yeah. But when you're, you know, you're doubling your business year after year, um, yeah. you, need, you need to protect it. And we, we collectively didn't have that skill set. But again, this sort of came back to where my business partners had sort of a certain ego factor. Um, mm -hmm. And I was able to let go of mine. And it, so it took a lot of finesse and convincing um, to really convince my business partners that we needed to protect the business. And the only way to do that was to take outside investment. 
to bring in real leadership into the company to drive it to that next level. And um, I don't know, I, I, you know, obviously every entrepreneur is different, um, but I think that really good entrepreneurs and there are certain entrepreneurs that can run businesses all the way through, right? Like they, they have that ability, but we didn't. And um, I think it's really dangerous for people not to recognize their um, weaknesses. And um, fortunately we were, I was able to finally convince them um, to, to go down that path. took that majority investment at the end of um, 2014 and then what became what I consider chapter two of Noosa Um, Mm -hmm. and that chapter was basically 2014 to 2018 for me personally Um, Mm -hmm. and so with that investment we brought on a whole leadership team Um, I was able to redefine what I felt like I added value to um, in the company. Mm -hmm. And really for me, that was um, being the face of the brand, you know, working closely with the marketing team, being part of the leadership team. I also sat on on our board. Um, And so I was able to sort of add strategic value. I was able to add sort of creative value. um, And that was a blast. So I feel really fortunate that I sort of, had both experiences because I think it made that second chapter even sweeter, um, having gone through so much sort of stress in that sort of first, um, you know, five, six years of the business. It seems much easier said than done to, to kind of take a step back and realize that you need to ask for help when your business is growing so fast. I couldn't imagine, you know, fully trusting a company enough or a team enough to kind of let them in because, you know, you probably had to be super selective and you probably had a personal vision for the company and everything can't match in everyone's minds. So I'd imagine it takes a lot of compromise and a lot of confidence in yourself to do what you did. Absolutely. And it really did feel like I was sort of letting go of my baby, right? Like, so it Mm -hmm. was... (laughs) in a lot of ways from a, you know, looking at the revenue of where the business was and where it was headed. Um, it was a, it was a teenager and it really needed some stricter (laughs) guidelines, um, which I wasn't able to do. So I probably can learn from that as I think about actually raising my own child, (laughs) what I'm in for (laughs) in the teenage years. So I'll, I'll definitely be getting some help outside. Gosh, from uh, from my experience, it will be a wreck for you. Uh, <laughs> I did cry all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a really hard decision. Even though I knew it was the right decision to bring on an outside team, um, you know, and that that sort of adage of hire slow, fire fast is is so true. Um, Again, just really lucked out with uh, an amazing CEO who basically said, you know, I'm not interested in this position without you and um, my dairy partner being a part of this and the go forward. Um, He's like, I have just no desire to do that. So having someone that felt so strongly about the value of the founders um, Mm -hmm was really important. And then from that, you know, we were able to create a pretty magical um, leadership team. And it's not to say that we didn't have our challenges in those four years, but um, you know, it was a, it was a team of people that had really big business experience, um, but were able to still be very entrepreneurial um, because the company was still, you know, from, their perspective was still quite small. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that was really important to find that, that really interesting combination of obviously people that could drive the business, but really respected and valued like the heritage and where the business had come from. Um, and yeah, I learned so much. And I, you know, for me, it was like this also another incredible learning opportunity because I actually had, the time to take a breath um, 
and be engaged in a meaningful yeah. way that I, I learned so much in that, that sort of second four year um, chapter. Yeah. And in redefining your position there, did you feel like you were kind of able to step back? Like you said, you could tell that managing other employees turned out not to be your strong suit. So did you feel like it was more, since you loved wearing all the hats, it was more like the social, the talking to people, the experience of the food and seeing people's experience with it. You felt like that was what you connected with the most? Absolutely. Um, and then also on the creative side, you know, marketing can be very creative when you think about, um, especially in food, you know, product development, yeah. thinking about flavors and where else could we take the brand um, and ended up connecting with um, probably one of the most amazing food marketers I've ever had the chance to know and work with um, this woman named Christine Dumb. And, um, you know, there's a funny uh, Australia connection with her um, that felt very serendipitous. So when I was actually interviewing her, um, you know, we were talking about Australia and she said that she and her husband had gone there on their honeymoon and they'd been up in North Queensland in Cairns where I grew up. And uh -huh. she said, you know, whenever I travel, I always buy a Christmas ornament. I was like, oh, that's cool. And she said, yeah, so I actually bought this um, Christmas ornament at one of the local markets in Cairns. And I was like, oh, what, what was the ornament? And she's like, it's this frog and it's, you know, wrapped around like this wreath. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. I was like, it sounds like something my mom would make. And, and so I said to her, I was like, could you take a picture of it when you go home from this interview and just send it to me? I'm so <laughs> curious. I kid you not. So she sends me the picture and I'm like, oh my gosh, stop it. So she had bought one of my mom's ornaments and there's and when we talked about the year that she was there it's very possible that i was actually working at my mom's booth oh my gosh <laughs> that's the cutest market. thing i've ever heard <laughs> it was truly a partnership meant to be <laughs> it was a partnership meant to be um and you know when i think about you know some of the weaknesses that i had around leadership and um you know she was somebody that I learned so much from on that, on that level, she was able to really, you know, deliver hard messages to employees, but in a way that was really empathetic, um, mm -hmm. which is a, which is a pretty amazing skill to have in leadership. And, um, so yeah, I see that as, you know, um, another, you know, female role model that I had the opportunity to work really closely with and yeah, it was meant to be. <laughs> That's so cool. I actually briefly worked for a woman named Delia Kellerman. Part of her job as a consultant, she had her own consulting company, is kind of hiring and firing and telling employees where they're going wrong. And I got to see her in these meetings where it's like, it just is a skill that a lot of people don't think about. And it's so difficult to do in an empathetic and a graceful way. Um, but she really did it and made it seem like all these choices are for the best of the individual and for the best of the company, which is such a hard thing to navigate if you're not trained in doing that. Um, Absolutely. But, yeah, just such a cool thing to learn how to do. Speaking of teenagers and babies and your family, um, I ask all my guests kind of, I feel like there's a lot of pressure as a woman to have a life plan because not only around career, but kind of around family, just depending on where you're coming from and what you are prioritizing. I think a lot of women kind of have to be stricter with how they think about their life timeline because they want kids. And I feel like sometimes the pressure gets put a little more on women because we're the ones with like the time limit on having kids. And sure. I just wondered if those decisions ever affected or if any of that planning ever affected your career decisions. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, it's a great question. And I think that for me personally, um, you know, I had launched Noosa um, prior to having my daughter and um, I did, you know, I did hit that like 
ticking time bomb of like, I'm 39 years old and I do want to have a child. Um, mm. And if it's now, it, you know, it was, it was sort of that now or never moment. And, mm. um, you know, and I, you know, there's no good time to have a kid really in my opinion. <laughs> I like that. You know, they're gonna they're gonna change your life. You know, and I know everyone tells you that, but it does change your life in in a very dramatic way. Um, And um, you know, sort of back to your earlier comment. You know, when we were talking about education, like you know, everyone has different um, family support, different financial circumstances. Um, So there's a lot of different factors when you think about having having a family. uh, for me, it was, you know, knowing that I really did want to have a child, um, knowing that I was up against um, the quote unquote clock. And um, so, you know, it wasn't it wasn't an opportune time for us. Like, you know, we had just started paying ourselves a salary um, out of the business in 2012. I was able to finally quit my second job. Um, and uh you know, I had no idea how long it would, it would take as well. Right. That's, that's the unfortunate sort of unknown for women too. I think when they think about family planning is they just don't know how long it's actually going to take to, um, to fall pregnant. And, uh, I was very lucky that that happened pretty quickly. And, um, I ended up having a very healthy pregnancy, a pretty easy pregnancy, Um, so in a lot of ways, um, I'm so grateful and thankful that that went that way for me, um, because I was already under a lot of stress from, you know, my business. Mm -hmm. Um, so that I think probably would have made me implode if I had dealt with a lot of the stress on the family planning sort of aspect in pregnancy, you know, if I'd had challenges with my pregnancy. Um, In a lot of ways, I just, I mean, I worked, I was sort of like, I can't even think about being pregnant. Like I should focus on my business. Um, So I just was like, okay, I'm just going to do the best that I can um, with the circumstances that I'm dealing with here. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in some ways it's, it's funny, you know, I have some friends who, you know, were working in a more traditional business environment um, where I had sort of the envy knowing that they could take more of a traditional maternity leave. And I knew that I wasn't going to have that, um, that opportunity or flexibility. Um, yeah. And yeah. I really had to kind of resolve to that notion um, that, you know, I had chosen this, path to start a business and um, I had chosen to have a child and I was just going to deal with the circumstances that I was doing that within and um, so I you know I gave birth to my daughter I literally was on she was on her first um, business call when she was two days old Um, and I you know I wasn't back to work full-time but you know I still had to keep a pulse on the business um, and what was going on. Cause we were a small scrappy, you know, startup still. And, yeah. um, but yeah, it's, it's tricky. It's hard. Like, again, I mean, I, I say that with jokingly that there's no good time, but having a child is, is a disruptor. It's just, it, yeah. it's inevitable that it just dis- disrupts your life in certain ways. And, um, I think the biggest thing for me that made it, um, tenable was that, I have an amazing husband um, and he was equally there in, um, in raising her. And, um, you know, I think you need to think long and hard as a female that you do have the right support from your partner, um, Mm -hmm. especially if you want to go back into your career, um, you know, relatively quickly. Um, And then, you know, as, Again, very fortunate to have my mom and my stepfather come and be my nanny when she was five weeks old. Oh, that's um, so sweet. Yeah, so they were my nannies for the first, you know, three months. And then, um, you know, I was able to have a nanny in-house, you know, till she was about um, a year old. And then she went into a daycare environment. And, I mean, that was all hard because, you know, I think earlier on I had this vision that I would be, more of a hands-on mother and, um, you know, 
be more focused on her um, mm-hmm. when she was little. And I just, it, it didn't work out that way. Um, and yeah. that, and that's okay too. You know, like I think, of course. Um, I think, you know, as life evolves, you have to be sort of flexible and, and sort of maybe give up on some ideals of how your life is going to, to, to pan out. Um, but I do yeah. think it's really, um, it's having the right support around you. And, you know, that can come in many different forms. It doesn't just have to be a husband. It can be, you know, a partner. It can be, if you're doing it on your own, you know, having the right resources that you can, you know, have people supporting, supporting you. Um, but it's hard, it's hard to do it all. You know, I think it's hard to be, um, I think it's hard to have, uh, a big career and be an amazing mother and an amazing partner and um, and finding that balance is tricky and um, you know again I feel so grateful to my husband Tate because in a lot of ways he um, he picked up a lot of slack for me um, in those sort of early years and um, I like to joke and I mean, it's it, like part of it makes me sad because I know I'm, I'm only having one child, but I don't really remember her much as a baby because I was so busy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes when people ask me like, do you feel bored or like now that you're not, you know, running your business day to day. And I was like, I look at it as this amazing opportunity that I'm financially secure that I don't have to work day to day. And I have this opportunity to now be really focused and available for my child. Um, now that she's, and especially as she's older. And, um, so I think that, um, it's going to be different for everyone. Right. Um, and it's really about having the right support network around you. I think being really kind to yourself, um, Mm -hmm. and, and letting, letting go of certain, um, expectations that you might have had for yourself and your career. And I think that, um, you know, I, I can't speak to people that are in a more traditional business environment, but I think, you know, finding a place of business that really does support that um, and support women and, and coming back into their careers is really mm-hmm. important to think about too, as, as you think about having a child. Um, and I yeah. think we also live in an amazing time with, you know, I think 2020 has sort of proved that out of, you know, um, we don't always have to be in an office, right? Like that there's, people can be very productive with flexibility. And I think, you know, I go back to that age old, ask for what you want. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of women are afraid to ask for what they need, especially as they're, juggling both motherhood and a career um and i would say be bold and ask for what you what you need our last question was are you going to give advice to anyone listening but you said (laughs) your advice is no (laughs) be bold and ask for what you need and it honestly is an incredible thing to live by much easier said than done. So to remind yourself kind of in every major decision that you're making with confidence to be bold and ask is I think very important for young women, especially now. Um, Yeah, I would say that's a big, big piece of advice I give to, to women and also don't get stuck and something mm. that you're not passionate about. Be flexible, be curious, and keep exploring, you know, for that that passion. And, and, and for some people, it will come early on, and for others, it will come later on. And then that's okay too, right? Is yeah. But keep, keep striving for your passion. And um, I'm a big proponent of putting things out in the universe and it doesn't have to be this succinct business idea or career plan but you know for me it was um I was in a running group with my girlfriend and I was like you know I really want to figure out a business idea that connects me back to Australia um and oh wow I mean that was very vague right like it's a very sort of vague idea 
Um, but she reminded, I had sort of forgotten that I had said that to her. Um, and it was years later, right, that, that Noosa mm -hmm. came to be. Um, but I am a big believer in putting things out into the universe and continuing to work towards those, those goals. I love that. That's a great note to end on. Um, thank you so much for talking to me. It's so cool to hear more. I've, I, we can tell our guests that we're kind of, we're semi cousins, maybe second cousins. I have no clue. Um, but you've always been a business inspiration. And I think maybe you've solved the question of this podcast. Should I do this? Cause I feel like I should do this. <laughs> you should do this. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I'm so starting fun. a yogurt company. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But maybe I've always wanted to start a business. So when I do, I will come bring it back to you and have awesome. you give me I advice. can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for talking to me, Coel, and sticking with me through the technological difficulties. Oh, it was so fun. Thank you. Since it's the end of the episode, it's time to ask, should I do this? Like I said at the end there, I would absolutely love to start my own company one day. I think first I'll have to get some more work experience, but I'd be thrilled to start a company as successful as Coel's. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and are one step closer to answering the question, should I do this? Special thanks to Gabriel Summer for our music. If you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, please message our Instagram, SIDT podcast or visit our website should i do this pod.wordpress.com also hit subscribe and you can be alerted when our new episodes drop have a great day thanks for listening <laughs>